Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hi, I'm Will Summer, and welcome to The Daily Beast Fever Dreams. I'm a politics reporter at The Daily Beast. My book on QAnon, Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon, and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America, will be available in February and is available for pre-order now. And I'm Kelly Weil. I am also a reporter at The Daily Beast, and I'm the author of the book Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. On this podcast, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, grifters, and influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Welcome back to Fever Dreams. I'm Will Summer, joined, as always, post-Thanksgiving, Kelly Weil. Kelly, did you manage to pull off your elaborate cooking regimen? I did. For folks who don't know, I have maybe the most psychotic 55-step Thanksgiving regimen, and it worked. It all landed, well, not unlike a certain book list review that landed for you. Congrats, man. (laughs) Thank you, Kelly. So I have a book on QAnon coming in February. It's called Trust the Plan. It's available for pre-order everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Bookshop, everywhere. And we got our first review. And it is a starred review from Industry Trade Publication Booklist. Let me just read a little paragraph here. This is an absolutely fascinating and deeply troubling book. Rage-inducing and heartbreaking. It's rigorously researched, energetically written examination of a phenomenon laughed off for too long as fringe silliness. Now, I think that really hits both what I'm going for on the book and what we're going for here on the podcast. Hey, it's fringe silliness, but take it seriously as well. (laughs) Obviously, last year I disappeared for a little bit to work on the book, so hopefully folks will appreciate that it was time well spent. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm stoked for the rage-inducing silliness. I think that's sort of the vibe of the show. It's definitely the vibe of QAnon, and I'm so stoked for this book. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah, once again, it is called Trust the Plan, available for pre-order. The other bit of housekeeping I wanted to get into is we are still accepting questions for the mailbag episode. Whatever you have that's fever dreams related, the American right, right right-wing nuttery, we are taking your questions. I've already gotten some great questions that I will be sharing with you, Kelly, shortly, and we are aiming to do that for our holiday episode if you sent your email as soon as the podcast came out last week and you got a bounce back it's been fixed thank you to the (laughs) listener who pointed that out maybe getting ahead of my skis technically but now we are all set up so send your questions to feverdreams at the dailybeast.com again that's feverdreams at the dailybeast.com all right so fever dreams i think will to be honest we're kind of bushly compared to another prominent podcast that got running just last night monday night that's sort of inadvertently explores the foibles of the right <laughs> real case study on what happens when you put some of maybe the top five weirdest guys in a room and just let them chat it out we're talking of course about the kanye milo nick fuentes tim pool extravaganza last night for folks who don't know kanye west is running yet again for president he has tapped an all-star team of milo yiannopoulos and nick fuentes to help him get that election bid off the ground and on monday night they took that road show to tim pool's tim what's it called tim cast it's called IRL. The tim cast this is our sister podcast kelly you got to keep up with these developments <laughs> i'm sorry there's too many variations of it tim cast irl and things did not work out so well irl things did not work out so well irl ended pretty quickly with kanye storming off the set well i think you were actually watching this live what went down there i was this is where my life is headed that i literally <laughs> <laughs> put it in when it was announced earlier that day that they would be on i put it in my calendar and then i was kind of like <laughs> it was starting at 8 p.m and it was like 7 30 and i was like putzing i'm like mm, when's this gonna start and unfortunately was not able to devote my whole night to watching this awful live stream because it ended pretty quickly so this is the classic case of what an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object so we've got on one hand i hesitate to even call it the kanye west campaign because i mean it's obviously bs that he's gonna run for president i think it is more like kanye's traveling roadshow of right-wing internet fame balls. So we've got Kanye, of course. Folks may remember that Milo Yiannopoulos, back from the grave, has resurrected his career by signing on with Kanye. And then Milo, who apparently was connected to this whole thing through an Alex Jones producer, has also 
teamed up with has brought in Nick Fuentes, the neo-Nazi. And of course, previously they dined with Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Although actually, I guess we haven't had a podcast since that happened. Yeah, a lot's been happening. Maybe we should back up a little bit because even the fact that Trump dined with Nick Fuentes at Mar-a-Lago would in a normal world be front page headline news for at least a week. I mean, Nick Fuentes is a guy who is like a lot of these guys we deal with are racists or anti-Semites. But Nick Fuentes is very much more openly so. He says, oh, got to get these Jews out of power. We got to the Holocaust denier, all this stuff. And of course, he's also the leader of the right-wing youth Groypers, who famously, I think, are hugely popular among many young Republican activists and have managed to really drag folks like Charlie Kirk and Turning Point USA to the right. So Milo and Kanye and Nick dine at Mar-a-Lago with Trump and Karen Giorno, who is a sort of, I guess, itinerant Trump world figure who previously ran Laura Loomer's earlier Florida campaign. Now she seems to have latched onto the Kanye thing, which is interesting to me, but she also seems to be sort of an an entree here. So this whole dinner is really interesting because Trump can't fully bring himself to disavow Nick Fuentes. He's always going to say things like, well, I didn't really know who this guy is. Knowing who this guy is is beneath me. That's not really true. I mean, Nick Fuentes' Groyper movement's been like disrupting Trump world TPUSA events for ages. So I think there's almost zero chance that Trump doesn't know who is, or at least a Trump aide who'd be vetting this wouldn't know who he is. What's really interesting to me is actually the response of more mainstream Republicans trying to figure out how much they want to distance themselves from this event, right? So days and days after this dinner, we're finally seeing some mainstream Republicans tweet just these absolutely tepid things saying, well, anti-Semitism is never okay. Tell us why you're tweeting that. Like, no one will invoke this guy's name. No one will condemn Trump directly. So it's just really been a banner week of cowardice with regard to this guy. It's weird to think that just a few weeks ago, I was talking to a local GOP county chair and saying, well, one of your precinct chairmen, we suspect, is donating some money to Nick Fuentes. This is beyond the pale. And he was like getting really upset and saying, oh, wow, this guy sounds really awful. And so this idea that this like local county GOP official was really outraged by this and then cut to, I mean, really, I think it's been less than a month since then, and then cut to now this guy's hanging out with Trump. And according to Jonathan Swan's reporting at Axios, is being very well received by Trump because I think he's basically saying like Trump you got to just really get crazy with it man and Trump's like oh man I know I want to I want to which is really a way to into his heart so from a bigger point of view I mean this is obviously bad news because this injects Nick Fuentes in a bigger way into the national conversation and it really offers along with Kanye is sort of gives some respectability to this anti-semitism as sort of like a legitimate political idea yeah absolutely I mean this has been the whole Groyper project right is to have these openly racist openly anti Semitic talking points and dress them in a suit and try and get them into CPAC, right? For years, I think Republicans have known enough to keep a firewall between themselves and Fuentes. And he realizes that one of the weakest links in that firewall is Trump himself. Trump, who will respond very well to anyone who flatters him. So if he can get his foot in the door there and say, oh, Mr. Trump, sir, the Zoomers love you. You just got to go hardcore, man. That's really going to be enough. And now he's everyone's problem. Exactly. So now, so the Mar-a-Lago thing is over for now, I guess. Big kerfuffle there. So then on Monday night, Tim Pool, who folks are, may remember, we've done an episode on Tim Pool. He's sort of a beanie-wearing guy. He claims to be a liberal, but is in all other ways, like, right of, I would say, the RNC. <laughs> And so he has this compound. I'm working on a better name for this, but perhaps the Tim Pound. But I think there's a little more material out there. I think anyone who lives in a compound loses the right to call themselves a liberal. I'll just say that. That's a great point. So he's got this compound in Western Maryland. I've done some really excellent reporting on, if I do say so myself. (laughs) You have. On allegations that Tim kidnap one of his former employees cats for a period of time and there's a lot of reporting there about the compound which includes a skate park and tim for what it's worth denies these allegations so tim posts a picture of nick fuentes kanye and milo on a private jet that is bound for the tim pound now this was the revelation that they would be doing i mean the thing people have to understand about the tim cast is this is a like multi-hour show he does a couple times a week with a tim has kind of his own cast of characters many of whom orbit the compound if not live there entirely they are like various degrees of kind of like spacey one of them is has been dubbed the moon lord by some of Tim's critics because of his kind of zany ideas. So this is like where they're all headed, right? Um, And this picture that goes around, I know it's a podcast, but like one of the odder things about this is like how no one involved in Kanye's traveling roadshow, it seems like they are in hell. 
and they are not happy to be here. Like Kanye always looks really sad about everything that's going on. Milo is like just always like reading a Bible. And 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 like in the picture they posted, Milo's like kind of like picking at the tip of his nose. Like if I'm Milo, I'm like, hey, can we retake the photo? Can we send another one? Yeah, this is a strikingly low energy photo. Kanye and Nick Fuentes are looking at their phones, not talking to anyone, looking a little sad. I mean, Milo is, I'll say it, he's picking his nose, right? He's reading the Bible and picking his nose in the <laughs> foreground. It's just, it's, it's very grim for some people who are on a private jet. If this is the hype movement, if this is the really exciting 2020 for candidacy i'm just not seeing it from this photo i think what must be going on here is that everyone must be kind of mirroring kanye's energy because like nick fuentes in his heart is like screaming with joy to be anywhere near what's going on here and i'm sure milo is as well so they sort of like approach the tim pound but there's like i owe a lot of reporting here to amber athey of the washington spectator or the american spectator who is on the scene but basically there's like a screw up with the limo kanye ends up at a hibachi restaurant in western <laughs> maryland but basically like they make it there eventually so they kick off the broadcast i'm all settled in i'm ready for a night of entertainment and grim thoughts about the future of america and it basically goes off the rails immediately right kelly yeah absolutely so okay kanye what he's been doing lately i think it makes some republicans a little uncomfortable not because it cuts against their message but because he's saying it so outright kanye's been on some really anti-semitic shit and he says it very openly whereas a lot of milo's well sometimes they will give themselves a little bit of wiggle room they'll disguise what they're saying just enough. Kanye on this broadcast doesn't want to do that. So he's going in about how he's been mistreated implicitly by the Jews. And Tim Poole, because he has a little bit of savvy, doesn't want to be seen as an outright bigot. He won't go along exactly with that framing. So he's saying, yeah, you have been mistreated. And Kanye and Nick are saying, by whom? Say who it is. Say who it is. And Tim's like, the corporate news, the corporate news. This was a kind of a fascinating moment because people have to understand, like, Tim Poole does not want to react negatively in any way to this. He needs, like, he's on the verge of a clout bonanza. And it's just, like, in general how he reacts to these right-wingers that he has to be like, I'm just asking questions. I'd just like to really give you a platform for your vile views. But you can't be, like, doing a Hail Hitler in the studio because I'll get kicked off of YouTube. We have to, like, your optics are not ideal, so we need to couch it a little bit. And then so he says, well, I think they treated you really poorly. And they start saying, well, who's they, Tim? Like, Nick Fuentes and Milo and Kanye are all ganging up on him. Tim has a choice. He can either be racist too. <laughs> or he could be like, well, wait wait a second, guys. He outs for the second, then it all goes to hell. Yeah, so Kanye doesn't say anything, just stands up, walks out of the studio. Someone's like, oh, I, I better go check on him. And of course, Kanye doesn't come back. That's the end of it. It's later revealed that I guess he thought that Tim was talking too much. It's really funny. He's barely talking at all. And at one point, Tim was like, well, I would just like to say my thoughts. And Kanye's like, I don't care about your thoughts. Yeah. And Tim has to go like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I think this is so interesting, though, because it really speaks to, I think, this milieu that Kanye has been in, right, where he can just say this stuff and he's really received no pushback at all. Right. I mean, that's part of being a celebrity, I guess. You're surrounded by yes men, but he's also surrounded by Nick Fuentes. He's surrounded by Milo, just these really unsavory suck ups who will never even question his framing here and will push him honestly, I think, to be even more anti-Semitic. For him to even have that framing questioned, for someone to say, well, I'm not sure I want to say who they are, triple parentheses, they, well, that's enough for him. He doesn't really have the stamina to push back and turn that into a debate. I mean, what's interesting here is that Milo and Nick are like basically whatever goes on here they're going to benefit from it like because their stars were much dimmer before they attached themselves to Kanye. Tim on the other hand has his own bag to protect which is he doesn't want to get kicked off of YouTube. In the past I when I saw him Milo did a previous interview recently on Tim's show. Tim was like, "Okay, to be clear, you're not going to talk about the Jews until <laughs> We're behind the paywall, okay, on my own site where I'm not going to get banned. And so, like, look, I, I think the way to sum it up is like, look, you get that many alphas in a room, there's going to be trouble. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. The Sigma grinds that you can't have this many without conflict. And I think that's what shows in that high energy picture of them all sitting on the plane, not talking and reading their Bibles. So just to run down a couple other kind of stray thoughts on this. One is that I mentioned I mentioned Amber Athey of the 
American Spectator, who is a former Daily Caller reporter who is no fan of Wills. So she was on the scene, and you might think this would be quite a thing to write about. All of these suck-ups and these sycophants and these operators and grifters all orbiting this this really increasingly unstable star. And instead, Amber just kind of hung out there and wrote a lot about the snacks. So she writes, for example, the big scoop was, Yay grabbed several Simple Mills brand nut butter stuffed sandwich cookies off the kitchen counter and munched on them on his way out the door. That's a real like startup office level snack. I just have to say, like, what are they keeping on the Tim Pound? It's not going to survive the revolution. <laughs> I mean, it's just really funny to me, like all these like weird, like product placement details. But here's the good news. So I was really like, why are we not getting the backstory? What's really going on? Here's the good news. I think we will someday because Milo Yiannopoulos is absolutely addicted to secretly recording his friends and enemies. <laughs> A few years ago, Milo, when his star was really on the decline, he would hold up an external hard drive in live streams and be like, this is called The Vault. And this is where I record everyone. And I've got dirt on everyone. <laughs> bah, 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 bah. And at one point, he released a video of Richard Spencer, his erstwhile friend, or maybe it was just an audio recording, you know, making all these racial slurs. Now, this then, the, the whole vault thing kind of backfired on Milo because then the people suing Spencer over the Charlottesville march said, oh, hey, Milo, yeah, we're going to have to subpoena you for all those recordings. And then Milo said, oh, oh, I was only joking. And so then this ended up being like a huge federal trial over the contents of the vault. And then he said, well, I destroyed it. And the judge said, I'm sorry, you destroyed evidence? And then, I mean, it became this like huge saga. And, you know, what we always like to see is sort of these characters face courtroom consequences. Now, so there's that. So I suspect at least one person involved in this is recording everything secretly, and that will someday come to light. Now, Kelly, speaking of people who love their factionalism, Laura Loomer has also waded in on this. Yeah, absolutely. And this kind of gets into Milo just jealously hoarding gossip like a little dragon. But Laura Loomer, she's been beefing with Milo online for a few weeks now. She blames him for her primary loss yet again in a Florida congressional race. She lost by like seven points. That's the Milo bump. (laughs) So it does you in. Yeah, and surely that same Milo bump will propel Kanye to presidency in 2024. But she has been posting pictures and screenshots of what she says is Milo denigrating Kanye, even Milo calling Kanye gay. And she says that this is evidence that Milo isn't really a true believer in Kanye. He's just affixing himself to Kanye to steal Kanye's star power. Now, that's probably true regardless of whether the screenshots are accurate or not. But what's really interesting to me is that this plays into a lot of other beef. There's just lots of little side stories here because Laura Loomer is upset that Milo, she says, conspired with Marjorie Taylor Greene to sink Laura Loomer's congressional bid. When this failed Tim Pool, Kanye West, Milo podcast happened last night, Laura Loomer went on Telegram to say that Milo might be an FBI informant. Does Kanye know that he's working with an FBI informant? She then went on to claim that Milo was still working with Marjorie Taylor Greene, that he's still an intern for her. Now, normally this would be just like a weird Telegram screed in the middle of the night, but Marjorie Taylor Greene took the time to respond to that. She wrote this really strange Telegram message saying, apparently Laura Loomer is obsessed with me. She's saying that she's desperately trying to remain relevant. That's actually true. There's kind of like a lot of self-awareness here where she's saying like all these people who are saying things that they know all these secrets. How do they know this stuff? They don't have any more information than you do. They just pretend and lie to make money off of you. <laughs> right. Okay. So on one hand, no, I don't think Laura Loomer has like any secret intel, but she does have some pretty revealing texts. I think they reveal a bit more about herself than Marjorie Taylor Greene, but it's between the two of them saying, I've always got your back, sister, that kind of thing. And I hate to say it, but Laura reads kind of like the clingier friend in these conversations. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this relationship either continues to deteriorate or maybe they'll make a But this Kanye race having fallout already, possible 2024 congressional candidates are knocking themselves out. It's getting brutal. So the Kanye Roadshow continues. I mean, it's not clear how soon he'll be back in public if like Tim Pool is considered like the really vicious grilling interviewer. The unfortunate reality is I I think that Milo is actually correct here that he can use Kanye to mainstream anti-Semitism to some extent and make it a topic of conversation. I mean, he's been very open about that plan. At the same time, I mean, I guess the good news is that it's a real shambles thus far. Yeah, absolutely. It's not good optics. And I think even Kanye is probably going to realize that at some point. So Kelly, speaking of our sort of bumbling right-wing characters, MyPillow CEO 
Mike Lindell is now looking for a new title. That's right. RNC chairman. So Mike Lindell, he's no fan of how the RNC is being run lately. After the 2022 midterms, Republicans underperformed there. Mike Lindell said, it's not a function of us running our craziest candidates, people who go all in on voter fraud. It's because we didn't go hard enough on allegations of voter fraud. He thinks that the RNC and its current chair, Ronna McDaniel, really dropped the ball in what he calls election integrity, which means anybody besides Trump winning. So Lindell is now challenging Ronna McDaniel. He says he's going to run to take the lead of the RNC. I think this is interesting. It does come at a moment when there's a lot of finger pointing within the Republican Party talking about who's responsible for the midterm underperformance. But I do think it's certainly an interesting vision of the future of that party if indeed a Mike Lindell comes to be its chair. I don't quite know what to make of this, right? I mean, it just sort of seems like Mike Lindell just absolutely loves causing a ruckus. And there certainly is, I think, some justifiable probably anger at Rona McDaniel after the midterms. I mean, they didn't do a great job. And I think whether Lee Zeldin from New York, who outperformed, is supposedly considering running. I do find it fascinating, like how badly Mike Lindell is going to do at this, though. I mean, he's saying, I'm going to conduct due diligence by talking to all the voting members. Well, yeah, that's a good idea. I don't know if that's like due diligence per se, but rather like campaigning. I mean, I think it would truly be bizarre. I mean, it is interesting the idea that finally like the sort of the tension and the chaos that has roiled the grassroots of the party and many of its primaries, this idea that it might finally reach the party apparatus itself. But it's a little unclear to me how like swayable these voting members are. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's very interesting that outside of calling voter fraud, Mike Lindell doesn't really have a platform here. He's done a whole blitz of media interviews since announcing this campaign. And he's been asked in various forms, well, what are you actually going to do as RNC chair? He says right now what he's doing, he's calling all 168 people who vote on the next party chair. And he's going to ask them, what are the problems? And I'm going to solve them because I'm a businessman. And because I'm going to have a plan to solve the problems, yet unstated, then all the donor money is going to keep pouring in. Well, that's not really a concrete plan, right? That's not really the bullet points guide to action that I think most people are going to want here. There are already some real gems coming out of these media interviews he's doing. So he's saying just the other night on Newsmax, he was on with former Fox star Eric Bowling, and Mike Lindell goes, do I have the time? Absolutely, I have the time. I spent 18 hours a day right now on stuff for this country. So one understated perk, I think, of this campaign is we're going to find out a lot about Mike Lindell. I'm certainly a fan of learning all about the Mike Lindell extended universe. I think we're going to learn a lot more about his vision for the country, maybe his day-to-day routine. I'm certainly all about that because I've never learned a Lindell fact I didn't like. I mean, the other thing to remember is that this is a guy who's potentially under federal investigation, right? I mean, (laughs) it was only a few months ago that his phone was seized by the FBI at an Arby's. It was a Hardee's. It was a Hardee's. Oh, excuse me. That was a bit of fake news that I think there was like there were people mishearing what Mike was saying. The other thing is, Kelly, this has always provided you with an opportunity to check out what's going on in the MyPillow store. And now I think the people often think of the MyPillow coffee, the sheets as kind of the brand extensions, but they're really going for it here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is fair game to invoke here because on Newsmax, they asked Mike Lindell, are you going to go for the Trump endorsement in this race? And Mike Lindell says, oh, I'm not worrying about that. He says, I think he'll look at me favorably because of all I've done with my businesses. He goes, I don't fail when I go all in on something. And I said, yeah, okay, Mike, you know what? It's Cyber Monday. I'm going to see what your businesses have going on. So I went to my store. It's part of the MyPillow Extended Universe. And gotta say, Will, doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. From the front page, looking at all the deals here, one of the top items is a microwave magic, an innovative line of microwave cookware. You can save $18 on that. Next to it is a Stop the Bleed kit. It's a blood clotting patches. Bleed Stop and Bleed Clot Pet. (laughs) Well, it's 56% off. You can buy something called the Original Whacker Spoon. I'm not sure what it does. I actually did a little research on this, Kelly. I mean, I have to say this screenshot you have here, it's like, it seems like something cooked up to be like, to seem fake. (laughs) It provides me with an unsettling aura. Like, okay, so it's microwave centric cookware, clotting supplies, and what's called the Original Whacker Spoon for 60 bucks, which is a heavy spoon spoon that has is believed to have various useful properties like you can get the juice out of a knob of garlic i mean the whacker spoon thing is 
I just don't understand why it exists. Yeah, who's drinking garlic juice? Well, it might be useful for like vampire purposes. But all of this is to say that if Mike Lindell is running on his charisma as a businessman, on his fantastic successes, I think they might want to see some other references here before he takes over from Ronda McDaniel. Well, Mike Lindell for RNC Chair 2023, brought to you by the original Wacker Spoon. All right, Will, who is our guest this week? All right, this week we've got Cerise Castle. She's a reporter from L.A. People may have heard of her work covering the presence of gangs in the L.A. Sheriff's Department. People often say police are the most dangerous gang on the streets, but she's reporting on like actual gangs inside the Sheriff's Department. It's fascinating, and she's reported on this previously for a website called Knock L.A., and now she's out with a new podcast called A Tradition of Violence, looking into these truly bizarre and violent gang culture that really was sort of out there in the open and mostly unreported on until her story. So I think this will be a really interesting interview. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fever dreams like all Daily Beast journalism exist because of the generous support of our subscribers, the people who pay for access to Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, exclusive ad-free newsletters, and our undying appreciation. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com to sign up. Today we're joined by Cerise Castle. She's a reporter in Los Angeles who has done really some great investigative work on the gangs inside the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. She's reported for Knock LA on that story, and now she has a great podcast called A Tradition of Violence. Cerise, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me in. I mean, this is such an important story, and it's also just a fascinating one. You have uncovered something that in some ways seems to have been sort of an open secret among law enforcement in LA, and yet, I mean, it's just truly, truly wild once you started getting into the details. I was listening to your podcast, A Tradition of Violence, and just in like one episode, there's so many crazy things. I mean, this is really sort of a malevolent force operating in Los Angeles County. I guess my first question is, when you talk about how you're reporting on gangs inside the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, I mean, what do you mean by that? Because I think often people don't realize, I mean, these are like legitimate gangs. Oh, most definitely. And it was a really important part of both the written series as well as the podcast to define for people what a gang is under the California Penal Code so they can fully understand just how dangerous and truly criminal these organizations are. Under the California Penal Code, a criminal gang is any organization of three or more people that have a common name or identifying symbol are, as one of its primary activities, committing crimes, which is a very long list of criminal offenses under the California Penal Code. And third, they have members engaged in a pattern of criminal gang activity, either alone or together. And when you look at these deputy gangs, what they're getting up to, I'm talking about everything from money laundering, filing false police reports, and even murder. These are 100% criminal gangs. So, I mean, these groups have names like the Vikings. I mean, they really are like gangs. I mean, how does this work itself out? Like, what does it look like to be in a gang in the sheriff's department? So, So to be in a gang in a sheriff's department, it usually means that you are the type of deputy that isn't afraid to crack heads and ask questions later to do whatever it takes to make a case and get an arrest statistic. And that includes things like planting guns, manufacturing evidence, planting evidence as well, lying in court on the stand, and also targeting other deputies that don't go along with your criminal style of policing. And that looks like placing dead animals in their personal items, following them home, threatening death, and other horrible, brutal 
beatings and assaults. And ultimately, it leads to a lot of people leaving the department that don't want to go along with this kind of thing. So you highlight quite a few gangs in here. Can you tell us about the Vikings, one of these that you've profiled in your series? Yes, the Vikings were a neo-Nazi white supremacist gang, as so eloquently described by federal judge Terry Hatter. And they were really active at the Linwood Station in the late 1980s and 1990s. They were the subject of a class action lawsuit that was brought by the people living in Linwood against the county for the activities of this gang. Basically, they were going out on Friday and Saturday nights and gangbanging in the streets of Linwood. And that looked like literally throwing hand signs, spray painting LV-25 on street poles, on walls, going after local gang members and beating up them and their families, trashing homes, killing a number of people as well. In my podcast, you hear the story of how it's believed that two members of the Vikings actually conspired to kill one of the primary plaintiffs in this lawsuit, one of the foremost witnesses, and actually carried out his execution. It's just such a fascinating story. How did you get on to it? I mean, you have this very great intro to the podcast where you talk about how you were reporting on the protests in 2020 and officers shot you with the rubber bullet. And so you were laid up and then you decided to kind of finally dig into this story. Yes. The deputy gang issue was something that sort of percolated in my head for a very long time. Going back to childhood, I grew up in the Los Angeles area and growing up, I mean, I mean, it was just something that people knew about in certain areas. You said at the top of this that it seems like it was an open secret in police circles, but I would also say that it was not really a secret, but just an accepted fact in a lot of Black, brown communities, poor communities throughout Los Angeles County. I was told by my mother, teachers, my older brother, other kids on the playground to watch out for deputy sheriffs because they are likely in a deputy gang. And it always just sort of bothered me that, not really bothered, but it didn't really compute to me that the officers that were coming into my school and preaching about the evils of gang membership and demonizing other children in my class for being members of criminal gangs just by the simple virtue of where they lived or who they were friends with. And I'm also being told by other trusted adults that these same people are actually in their own criminal enterprises that are far much more dangerous. And it was a question that sat in my mind. It wasn't really a concept that made sense and I wanted to know more. And unfortunately, there really wasn't anywhere to go to find that information. There were journalists before me that would do a one-off article sort of scratching the surface of this issue, but never a complete anthology that really dug into who these people were and why they were doing what they were doing. So yes, as you said, I did get the opportunity in 2020 sort of <laughs> mixed in with a really unfortunate situation that happened when I was shot while out reporting on the protests. But as a result of that, I had six months where I wasn't doing anything. And I figured that I would use the time to get to the bottom of this really important issue. How far have these alleged gang members actually risen in the ranks? Is this something that's just low-level sheriff's deputies, or are these people with quite a bit of clout within the department? Being a deputy gang member comes with a lot of privileges in the department, and it often means that you are promoted faster and you are fast-tracked to these top-of-the-department positions. In the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, there is no test beyond the rank of lieutenant. So the captains, the commanders, the chiefs, the undersheriff, these are all people that are hand-selected by the sheriff or other connected people at the top. And generally speaking, it is these violent deputies that are often deputy gang members that are selected for those positions, unfortunately. Currently, our sheriff, who is on his way out, Alex Villanueva, his former chief of staff, Larry Delmise, is an admitted member, self-admitted member of a deputy gang called the Grim Reapers. The undersheriff, who is number two in the department, Timothy Murakami, he is a alleged member of a deputy gang called the Cavemen. And unfortunately, that's the case for a lot of these top positions. And it's not unique to the Villanueva administration. This is a trend that goes back for decades. You mentioned all these different gangs with these names. I mean, what is the relationship like between these gangs? Well, for the most part, I would say that it appears to be rather collegial. There's definitely a little bit of rivalry between the two of them. Who's like 
got the most kills, who has the most arrests, that sort of thing. Occasionally, there is conflict. In one episode of my podcast, we take a look at how the regulators, which was sort of a second generation of the Linwood Vikings, got into conflict with some of the older members of the Linwood Vikings and the fallout that resulted between deputies as a result of that. You tie these gangs to not just intimidation, but quite a number of deaths. And I'm wondering how these killings played out. Have they been targeted killings of rivals of the gang? Have they been compatible with other police brutality at traffic stops? It's really been both of those things. I've seen that deputy gang members have gone after specific people. Like I mentioned, with the Vikings, they targeted a plaintiff in this class action suit that was really responsible for bringing the class of 100 plus people together. That was a targeted killing. But in other instances, it appears that these alleged deputy gang members and their prospects are really looking for anyone to get a kill. It's alleged that in order to get into some of these deputy gangs, you have to kill a member of the community. You have to kill an LA County resident. It's also alleged that if you are a person of color in one of these deputy gangs, you have to kill a member of your same ethnicity. So Yes, somewhat targeted. Sometimes, sometimes it's more general. Speaking of violence, often in these stories, these articles and the podcasts, I mean, these groups really operate with impunity. Were you concerned about your own safety? I mean, your reporting here is so extensive. You're attaching high ranking law enforcement officials. You're saying this guy's in this gang, this guy's in this other gang. I mean, did you have any concerns of your own? Oh, 100 percent. And this reporting has resulted in my life being threatened a number of times. Pretty immediately after the series, the sheriff of Los Angeles County said in a press conference that he was advising department members to personally sue me as a result of the reporting. And then quickly after that, I found out that a team of what are called crime analysts had been assigned to monitor me and keep an eye on my social media. I know that the sheriff's department hired outside counsel to pursue some sort of action against me. I was targeted at a press conference held by the sheriff's department where one of the alleged deputy gang affiliates that I wrote about actually pointed me out in the scrum of reporters and sent a group of deputies to detain me and attempt to take me behind the building to do I don't know what. And this is all captured on film thanks to a reporter at KCAL 9 CBS. The sheriff's campaign threatened to disclose my home address on Twitter. I've received tons of phone calls, text messages, threatening my death, rape, that sort of thing. And most recently, this was about a month ago, I attempted to attend another press conference at the Hall of Justice, which is a public building. And I watched as every reporter was waved in except me and the captain who was doing that, pointed at me and said, everyone accepts Cerise. And I do want to thank Los Angeles Times reporter Brittany Mejia for refusing to enter the building until I was allowed in. And her actions, the sheriff wouldn't start the press conference without her. So it's really thanks to her that I was able to get in. But yes, in short, I face tons of consequences as a result of this reporting. So Ellie says it's going to investigate these gangs. What do you think is going to come of an investigation like that? Yeah, so the Civilian Oversight Commission, which is tasked with overseeing the sheriff's department, announced a year to the day after I published my series that they were opening an investigation into this issue, and they cited my written series in that announcement, which was really exciting. And that has led to, there have been seven hearings now on deputy gangs, and the testimony is really explosive. We have included some of that testimony in my podcast, and you're actually hearing from people in the department that have have either overseen botched investigations into these gangs and are explaining how the sheriff's department and Los Angeles County Council goes out of its way to keep this stuff secret. You're hearing from deputy gang members as well as people that have been targeted by them. At the end of the year, the commission wants to present its findings in a report. And with our report will come recommendations. But the Civilian Oversight Commission has no power to actually make the sheriff's department adopt any of those recommendations. So 
while I do think it's really important that this work is happening, I am not completely confident that the sheriff's department will adopt any of these recommendations just based on history and how these things have gone in the past. Current Sheriff Alex Villanueva, who is on his way out in just a couple of weeks, he has been subpoenaed by this commission six times now, and he has refused to comply with those subpoenas. So that just sort of tells you about how the sheriff's department views these hearings, views these recommendations, and views the commission. So I'm not really confident that anything will come out of this, but I do think it's important that we are hearing these stories, especially in a county setting. Talk to me more about Alex Villanueva. I mean, this this is a guy who, aside from the, sh- the gang stuff, sort of had a, a reputation. He's like, I'm the anti-woke sheriff, w- w- was sort of how he was positioning himself. I mean, he seemed to be sort of trying to be a, one of these classic like celebrity right-wing sheriffs. What was his reaction to your reporting? And what do you think it says about the future of law enforcement in the county that he lost in November? So Sheriff Villanueva has had a problem with my reporting from the very beginning. And he made that very clear in saying that I made it all up pretty immediately. He even hosted a radio show on a local AM talk station here in Los Angeles that was dedicated to me. It was an hour of him and one department employee and another police officer from another jurisdiction just going after me and saying how I made everything up and was trying to make money off of this story. So, I mean, yeah, and it's it's kind of funny because back in 2018, Sheriff Villanueva really positioned himself as a progressive Democrat, as the antidote to the Trump administration, which I find super ironic because as the years have gone on, I see Villanueva more resembling Trump than a Bernie Sanders or any sort of progressive figure. And yes, as you said, he appears to be a right-wing sheriff. It's the Tucker Carlson shows that he's going on. He has refused an interview with me for two years now. And that's the case with a lot of other local reporters. He does not talk to us, but he is going on the Fox Newses of the world. He is going on these right-wing podcasts and that sort of thing. I think that that behavior, I mean, certainly was covered in my reporting and his behavior was sort of, I think my reporting sort of exacerbated that behavior. And I think the people of Los Angeles just said enough. They don't want a sheriff that isn't going to comply with subpoenas. They don't want a sheriff that does not appear to have any sort of respect for the criminal justice system. So Cerise, one thing that you do in the series is track the long history of these gangs and they've been going back decades. I'm wondering whether how entrenched these gangs are in the sheriff's department and whether you see any pathway to dismantling them and getting them out of there. To be perfectly honest, I think that at this point, we are now at least 60 years of deputy gangs in the sheriff's department that they have existed since at least the 1960s. And we have seen these deputy gang members promoted in the process that I described a little bit earlier. And no, I think that the culture at this point is so completely rotted. I'm not sure that it can be repaired. And a lot of people inside the department agree with me. A lot of people in the department have told me that they think it should be completely abolished and something new should be created. There's just so many stories. You're covering decades of history. I mean, what are some of the stories that really like most shocked you when you were reporting this? I think what is most shocking to me every time is looking at how these deputies have carried out these extremely violent careers and continued to be rewarded and promoted. For example, I wrote a story earlier this year about a deputy that went out to the desert with a group of other alleged deputy gang members, held a man down and shot his deputy gang tattoo off of his ankle because this man had made a so-called unauthorized change to the tattoo. And that gentleman has since been promoted to sergeant. And 
The sheriff's department never criminally charged him for shooting his colleague in the ankle at point blank range. He was never charged for that. The internal investigation, I don't believe he was ever disciplined. Stories like that, they're a dime a dozen. Wow. The details are just shocking. Cerise Castle, thank you so much for your reporting. I mean, you're really just uncovering something that I think often sometimes the best stories are things that people maybe who are aware of them accept. And then someone says, hey, like, what's going on with this? There's deputy gangs. Truly shocking. And that's Cerise Castle. Her podcast is called A Tradition of Violence. Really fascinating, shocking reporting. Cerise, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. All right, and now we come to Fresh Hell, the segment where we tell you the worst video game that your nephew is playing right now. (laughs) Yeah, look, it's the holiday season, so I thought I'd do a little video game roundup. Okay, so Kyle Rittenhouse, the famous gunman, the notorious gunman from the Kenosha riots, is back. And this is interesting. So he's got a video game that he's selling for $3.50 that he announced, I think, last week. It's called Kyle Rittenhouse's Turkey Shoot. And in it, you shoot the fake news media as represented by turkeys and a helicopter from CNN. But what is so bizarre about this is not only does it look like this game took roughly three fifty to make, but also that, like, so it features a sort of cartoon Kyle Rittenhouse running around with a gun, shooting turkeys that are written with fake news on them. We have some audio from the announcement that we're going to play. And I just want to point out here that Kyle is with his collaborator here, a MAGA rapper named Mint Chip. So now we'll play this. (laughs) Mint Chip had a great idea. The Kyle Rittenhouse turkey shoe. That's right, Kyle. When I saw how these fake news turkeys operated, I had to start coding immediately. Gamers will get to play as Kyle Rittenhouse using a highly specialized laser gun to strike down any turkey that spreads lies, propaganda, or liberal bias. Each player will battle the fake news through a series of levels that are filled with dangerous turkeys. And Minchip comes out and he says, when I saw how these fake news turkeys operated, I had to start coding immediately. And then Kyle says like, wow, that's amazing. How do I buy it? (laughs) This is not like a really high energy operation. No, absolutely. I mean, I had a look at this game. The quality of the graphics kind of reminds me of one of those flash browser games that you'd play in your Internet Explorer window in the MySpace era. They're not really sending their best here, but I do think it's interesting, right? Kyle Rittenhouse has become kind of this avatar of bloodlust on the right, the fantasy that you can take your gun and go shoot Antifa on the street. And in this case, the focus is sort of shifted, less from the actual killings that Kyle Rittenhouse committed, more to a fantasy of blowing up the media, right? He's saying that the media ruined his life and that for that reason, you should go shoot some turkeys with, I think, like FNN, fake news network or something written on the side of them. So frankly, you're right. I think 350 is about what it costs to make this game. I totally understand. It's got pretty high returns. The question for me is how many people are going to be playing this. I think we're kind of in a golden era of games, right? There's just really exciting new stuff coming out. Warzone 2 just came out. It did, Will. It did. That's what I've been playing. Like Absolutely. And I think just as far as graphics go, as far as concepts and even gun variety, not really seeing it in this game. It's a very weird thing. As far as I can tell, it's not in the Apple App Store. It says it'll work <laughs> on iOS, but I think it's like this weird thing where you buy it and then they like email you a link to play it. It's very strange. My suspicion here now look mint chip and i have a history i <laughs> dm'd mint chip mint chip is a he's a very like if forgiato blow is the kanye west of maga rap mint chip is really way down there he's kind of doing some diy stuff but i think a year ago i dm'd him and i said i wanted to profile him because he was a maga rapper and he told me to buzz off in less polite terms so now i guess he's trying to position himself as like the app developer for like the bernie gets of our modern day so he like on his website he says like oh hey made the Kyle Rittenhouse game but like any other right-wing figures if you want a game too I'll do it so but it seems to be like these are some kind of like stock items that he's jammed together into a game so our levels are none of these are really Kyle Rittenhouse connected I guess they are the farm golf course who could forget Kyle Rittenhouse's love of golf (laughs) the Supreme Court I don't love the optics of doing a massacre in front of the Supreme Court (laughs) and the moon wow that's so epic the reason I bring this up is because in the ad he's like mint chip says this is what Kyle goes through every day. You can live Kyle Rittenhouse's life of being plagued by the fake news media. And I'm like, 
Kyle Rittenhouse is shooting turkeys on the moon? So that's where we're at here. But more broadly, I think this offers some insight into Kyle Rittenhouse's post-trial career and post-acquittal career as a right-wing talking head, which, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Kelly, is actually like not going as great as I might have expected. It's really not. In some bizarre way, I sort of feel sorry for this guy, right? Because he had all the ingredients to be a right-wing superstar. Like I said, shooting Antifa on the street is sort of a far-right fantasy. He got off with no conviction. He is pretty much set for life now at, what, 19 or 20 to be this conservative militant star. The fact of it is, though, that he really doesn't have the juice. I mean, I'm watching this promo, this trailer for the game, and it's rough. It's like he's getting outshone by mint chip. He is getting outshone by mint chip. I did sort of assume that people of that age group were very TikTok native, that they had a bit of energy. They could carry themselves in front of a camera. And man, we're limping through this. So I don't know that he really has the clout, that X factor to make it as a right wing star. And I think that's what's going to happen is he's going to be hiding himself behind a more polished cartoon version on i350 video game. Well, it is funny the cartoon version of him is like very jacked and like, <laughs> let's do this. I mean, it's like Rambo, essentially. And then it cuts to Kyle in like an Under Armour polo shirt. I mean, sort of to run down what he's been up to since then. I mean, he had this like thing where he was saying he was going to various colleges and then the colleges were saying like, that's not true. He's not enrolled <laughs> here. Or like, yeah, he took like an online course. He's not really a student here, though. He also, I think, has a gun YouTube channel where he once again sort of teamed up with a more intense looking guy. And he sort of said, oh, you know, I'm going to learn about guns. Aside from this video game, I think his most successful career has involved being sort of a backup TikToker. I mean, you mentioned TikTok. He's been putting out a lot of TikToks with his girlfriend. He does like, they're like lip syncing to something and then you're watching it and you're saying like, Kyle Rittenhouse? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Is that Kyle Rittenhouse doing like one of these like, yes, no, kind of like a classic like TikTok bit. And then you kind of have to scrutinize it. And yes, it is. It is Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah. Oh, man. There's so many Uncanny Valley things like that right now. You know, you'll be watching something and someone will pop in the cameo that they bought from Rudy Giuliani or whatever. It's, it's really, really dark. It's hard to parse that line between humor and just something very bloodthirsty. And yeah, I think this kind of cartoon game where an actual killer is shooting turkeys that represent the media. Yeah, that's kind of in that wheelhouse, right? It's badly made enough that you can laugh at it, but it doesn't really symbolize anything good. No, it doesn't. I mean, it is very odd that this guy, I mean, look, he was acquitted, but at the same time, he did kill some people and that's not yeah. good. Sort of inserted himself <laughs> into the situation and yet he's able to make, a, albeit like a not ideal right wing, I think, pundit career, but he's certainly making some money off of this. This is why we call it fresh hell. This is one of these things where you're watching it and you get that kind of Ralph Wiggum like, haha, I'm in danger kind of feeling <laughs> where it's just like, hmm, well, that's not good. The spectacle of it makes it hard to look away. Well, listen, for 350, might play it after dinner, but I don't think I'm going to get any long term <laughs> use out of it. I'm going to become a power gamer. I'm going to be twitching this and I'm going to be doing uh, Major League Gaming for the Kyle Rittenhouse game. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some amazing guests at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics to popular culture. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app and share the show on social media and at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Kelly is at Kelly Weil. That's W-E-I-L-L. Come say hi. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demeglio. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.